Welcome back, loyal podcast listeners. This is T. Cole Newton coming to you, as always, pre-recorded from my Mid-City Bar 12-mile limit. As always, I am joined by my guest host, not guest host, my co-host, <laughs> sorry to demote you, <laughs> Mr. Steve Yamada. I'm kind of like... Um... I'm kind of like one of those guests in a sitcom, you know, like you've been on the show long enough that eventually you get a credit in the uh, in the opening credits. Yeah, and they, then they have to change the song a little bit, to, exactly, and it yeah. does like the rhythm doesn't work anymore. Right. I'm pretty much like Bat Batgirl from the 1960s Batman. Like, not always featured, <laughs> but like, when what's I this was and the rest crap? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, we've got a really great guest here today. Why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce our guest for us, Mr. Cole? Well, my friend, Ms. Ho- Mrs. Are you? How do you self-identify uh, oh, in terms of your prefix I, these you days? Can, you can say it. The recently like. married Ms. Hope Codman Van Starns. Why don't you go introduce yourself, Hope? Hi. So my name is Hope Codman Von Starns. Um, Von Starns just got added. So <laughs> you say Hope Codman. That's also totally fine. Um, but I am the owner, co-owner, and founder of Dynamo here in New Orleans, which is a sexual health and wellness-based boutique. Um, and we serve as uh, hopefully a resource to the community, a place for people to learn about sex in a comfortable, positive, happy way, uh, and maybe get some really keen supplies at the same time. That's, it's, I feel like, I mean, when I was, this was a couple years ago, I was searching for a, an anniversary present. I won't go into <laughs> any more specifics than that, but I went to a store in the French Quarter, called Second Skin, and they did not have what I was looking for. Yeah. So I went around the corner to the erotic bakery oh, that's yeah. across yep. the street from our friends at El Libre, and they had what I was looking for, but I knew at the time that if they didn't, I could go to the Hustler store or the uh, the gay sex shop farther down Bourbon, that, that basically we live in a city that essentially has a sex toy district, and that made me feel really good. <laughs> You know, yeah, that not should. everyone has that luxury. Um, and you're, you're a lot newer to the scene. Can you tell us about what distinguishes Dynamo from, from that sex toy district in the French Quarter? What makes you guys special? Sure. Uh, so a few different things. For one thing, we really curate what we carry. Uh, at Dynamo, we're very exacting on what we're willing to stock. So all of our toys, all of our supplies need to be what's called body safe, which means it's safe for the body. Um, it is a food or medical grade material that is not going to cause any kind of harmful reaction, uh, harmful reaction, excuse me. It's not going to cause a harmful reaction. It's not going to cause an allergic reaction. It's not going to leach chemicals. Um, sex toys, as you might imagine, uh, if you think about it, they're not a regulated industry the way that like food might be or children's clothes or anything that, you know, other people things that really you put wanna... into your body. Exactly. Um, and so because politicians don't want to touch the realm of sex toys, uh, manufacturers can really put any kind of chemical or ingredient in a sex toy with really no oversight. It can be labeled a novelty. It can be sold and there's not a lot of education about it. So there's chemicals, for example, the one that you'll often hear about if you do this research, uh, there's a chemical called, um, or a group of chemicals called phthalates, which are plastic softeners. Um, and you see them used a lot in, for example, jelly toys, kind of the jelly dildos that you'll see, certain vibrators. Um, but what they can do is leach chemicals into the body um, and they can really disrupt, you know, the most sensitive parts of ourselves. Um, some of them are linked to cancer-causing agents, uh, to hormone disruptors, and these chemicals are actually banned in children's toys and in some places dog toys. Uh, <laughs> just not adult toys. Just not anything that you would put inside your body in a sexual way. 
So it's really down to shops like ours. And there's many around the country. Um, if you go to Good Vibrations or Bayland or the Tool Shed, um, Self Serve, there's so many wonderful early to bed. So many wonderful shops around the country that do do this work and do curate what they sell. And we just we didn't have a place like that yet in New Orleans. And so we wanted to be that place. We also really wanted to be a place that was very accessible, very comfortable, where people would be proud to come in to ask questions, um, not feel intimidated or feel as, you know, unintimidated as possible, I suppose. Uh, and hopefully come out really happy and having learned something new. Would it be safe to say then that if you buy sex tours Sex toys anywhere else in New Orleans. Toys, you, sorry, well, well actually, guy. let's we'll talk on that. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if you buy your sex toys anywhere else locally, you will die a horrible, horrible death. You will not. No, I'm, I'm not going to say that because I think that's slander. Um, <laughs> no. And, and there's, there's body safe. And we call these toys that are, that are safe for the body. We call those body safe. Um, there's body safe toys. I mean, all of the shops will carry at least some toys that are body safe. I should hope. Um, it's just not carrying things that are iffy. Um, so like I said, you really have to do your research. Our benefit is that we do that research for you. So you know that if you come in our shop, everything's cool, basically. Right on. Um, so I, I think we're living kind of in, a, in an age right now where a lot of uh, more boutique uh, industries are being able to pop mm-hmm. up and people are really looking for that human experience. Sure. Um, there is always the the giant elephant in the room, the online purchases uh-huh. as well and everything like that as well. Amazon. Yeah, and <laughs> I think that's scary uh, to me in this in this regard as well too because mm-hmm. you've got a lot of people, um, you know, age certification is not a big thing and everything yeah. like that and just unsafe purchases can be made online, especially now. Like, I mean, I'm learning a lot. This is, I will yeah. say that this is a bit of a, uh, a completely naive, gray, blind spot for me and everything like that. So, uh, the idea of like, oh my gosh, there's things that can cause cancer and like really be harmful. It's just like, how many people are like, like living somewhere where they just have an internet connection and they're sure. like, you know, don't have access to a service like this. Um, so uh, what, what are your experiences? With that, um, that's a very roundabout question, but, you know, being a brick and mortar competing in an online world. Um, well, we started as a website. So mm. when I first, you know, created Dynamo LLC, um, you know, we didn't have a brick and mortar. We didn't really have any inventory to speak of. And so it started as a website just to get my foot in the door and have an online presence. And to be honest, you know, the website, we make sales every month. Um but we're never going to be able to compete with an Amazon. You know, even some of the shops, you know, like Babeland or like the Vibrations that have been around, you know, for a decade or more, um, we're not competing with them yet. But the difference, I think, is that a people, a lot of people do want to support their local shop. You know, they want to support mm-hmm. the community. Um, they want to feel like they can rely on somebody in their town, in their region that has their back. And then also with us, now that we do have uh, pop-ups. Now that we do have a place where people can come see the toys, talk to us, they can get that experience that you wouldn't have anywhere else. I mean, short of, you know, staging every toy next to a dollar bill or a Coke can, you're never going to know exactly what it's like mm-hmm. in size and certainly not in <laughs> texture until you see it. Uh, and at the same time, if you've got a question, if a description is unclear, you only get so much with the internet. You only get so much with reviews. And then finally with Amazon, you know, I shop on Amazon for some things for sure. Um, but you're always kind of taking a chance. Mm-hmm. I've had people that have gone to Amazon for not just toys, but many things and just never got their order. I've had people come to Amazon for toys and they clearly have received a knockoff because the people that work in, in their warehouses, they work hard, but they're not an expert on every single thing. Right. So they don't necessarily know if whatever is in 
the Hitachi bin is a real Hitachi, right? You know, it might be something that was knocked off that was made cheaply and that's going to break or might even cause some damage or might be made using chemicals that aren't safe. Okay. We, uh, we talked a little bit about it that you're, you're on a trajectory to have your own storefront with street frontage. And that, yes. that's been a bit of a, that's a journey and it's an uh-huh. ongoing journey as yeah. we'll probably get into here in a minute. But I would like if you could talk a little bit about transitioning first from being an exclusively online retailer to having the space that you used to have above the new movement, what it was like up there, uh, the maybe the advantages or disadvantages, sure. and then the transition that you've been making from that space to your current slash future home on St. Claude. Awesome. So we started out as essentially just a website in 2013. Uh, and at that time when we first started, it was just me. Um, and I started out uh, as an online presence and then popping up, I kept a very small inventory and I would go to uh, burlesque shows. I went to a lot of burlesque shows, Bella Blue's um, show at the Always Lounge. Um, I went to the Howlin' Wolf. I, I traveled around different theatrical performances uh, and got a little traction there. Um, we actually, in that time, even brought in an educator, uh, Kate McCombs, who was amazing. And, and she flew in and, and taught some workshops with us. Was Nico Dur- your partner from the get-go? Um, very early on, but not immediately. Okay. So um, Nico Darling is my business partner. Um, she's phenomenal. She used to help run a shop called The Tool Shed, which is in Milwaukee. If you're in the far north, please go to The Tool Shed. They're amazing. They're also, in our opinion, the resource for uh, trans man supplies. Uh, so definitely check them out. They're phenomenal. Uh, but she came down here also with the intent to open up um, a, a sexual health and wellness shop. And we had both worked at Trashy Diva at different times. <laughs> um, we're very fancy ladies. And uh, basically, we're introduced through mutual friends and realized we had the same goals. And there was definitely like, we felt each other out. And we were like, you're cool, you're cool. Uh, <laughs> and then realized, yeah, you know, we're stronger together. We can really make a go of this. And so we became business partners pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, she came on board, you know, within a few months, hmm. really, of Dynamo officially having an LLC. So before you guys even had the spot at the new movement. Yes. She yeah. Was, definitely she was before part, then. Yeah. She, you know, from the, the little burlesque pop-up stage. Got for it. sure. Um, and we actually, so our, our good friend, um, Mallory Whitfield, who runs the, sh- uh, the site, uh, Miss Malaprop. Um, if you check her out, she's amazing both in terms of, um, uh, craft shows and you know any person that's a maker she's a great resource also um just in terms of seo and you know promoting your personal brand uh she's a good friend that i actually know through um my crew the noisition coalition <laughs> it's not my crew i'm in the crew um what do you play this is a crew it's a marching crew where the the core concept is that you have to make your own musical instrument mm-hmm. and play it as you march what is what is your uh contribution to that so I now play a siren, uh, a circuit bent siren. Um, and so it, it basically makes, you know, all of the, the demo noises from a, a megaphone, essentially. <laughs> okay. Um, siren noises that you can play in sequence or just play the siren. I used to play what was called the cacophony ball, which was just a, a metal ball full of Mardi Gras beads. It was a glorified shaker. Um, <laughs> we joke that we look like the communist clown army. You'd know us <laughs> if you saw us. We're red, black, and white. We look a little terrifying and if absolutely fabulous. You have but. probably seen them if you've seen more than a couple Mardi Gras parades. They're a regular fixture and they're always a hoot. 
All uh, so in many a literal good sense. things in my life have come to me through the Noisition Coalition, <laughs> including my husband and most of my friends. So huh. it's worked out well. Um, but also Mallory Whitfield, uh, who's an amazing person. And she recommended that we sign up for what was called the state, uh, the St. Claude Main Street program. And it was, um, the St. Claude Business Association, which is my neighborhood, uh, were, Basically having a call for different small businesses that wanted a chance to have a pop-up location. Um, and they would give you two months for free and a pop-up, help with your promotion and, you know, see if you could make a go with the intent to foster more business uh, on St. Claude Avenue. And so we were picked, uh, along with 10 other businesses, all of which were female run, I believe, which was really awesome. Uh, and so at the beginning of 2015, we had, like a 10 by 10, not quite closet. We called it the fort, uh, <laughs> inside an antique shop, uh, uh, and sort of thrift store on, uh, on St. Claude Avenue, LA 46. And we had it for free for two months. And that really allowed us to start to promote and actually start to keep more inventory. And once that was done, we were actually asked to go, um, upstairs at the new movement. Uh, which is an amazing improv theater, also on St. Claude. They had a classroom they weren't using. They wanted to essentially, you know, try to get some kind of value out of it. They liked what we did. And so that was, oh, you know, the size of a small room. But it was it was enough. You know, we actually could have more inventory. We could have more supplies than we did before. Not just vibrators and dildos, but, you know, more safer sex supplies and transgender supplies and kink supplies and things that we we didn't have room for before. Um, and so we were there for several months until we finally got the opportunity to come, uh, down St. Claude, actually closer to Frenchman Street, essentially. Um, one of our dear friends had a unit open up in his building and he invited us there. And it's been about a year of trying to figure out the actual ins and outs of having a proper brick and mortar commercial space that's not a pop up, that's not temporary. Um, and it's been a journey, but we're making it. We're getting, we're, we're making it happen. Right on. That's uh, that's interesting for me. I've never, besides when I was 16 years old, I worked at Target, and I think that's the only retail experience I've ever had, and that mm -hmm. was stocking shelves. So I really sure. don't understand that aspect of that business at all. Do you have any uh, retail experience at all, Cole? Uh, video stores probably the closest I've come to retail experience, and that was, I mean, a rental is a very different kind of sure. uh, commercial environment. We don't than, do than rentals. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but Steve, you might want to be—you might be able to speak a little bit to this because you've done several pop-ups, and seeing something go from a pop-up to a brick and mortar is something that exists in the beverage and, and food business as well. The people who something like Noodle and Pie mm -hmm. that started as a pop-up and then went to a brick and mortar, and it's actually—I've heard that they're closing now, which is a little sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but something like that, something like uh, I know that uh, La Cosinita, which is a food truck, mm -hmm. has been looking for a solid location. Did you ever give any thought? to turning any of your one-off concepts into a more permanent fixture? Or were some of those concepts really designed to be to be parties more than uh, attractions that would linger? Uh, in the F&B industry, I would say um, I'm actually a little bit opposed to pop-ups becoming um, brick-and-mortar locations because I think it is, like you were saying, it is an event. It's a special occasion or mm -hmm. something. And, you know, it's it's that law of diminishing returns kind of thing. It's like if you got that bag of chips, the first chip tastes really good. But by the 20,000th chip you have, it's like super salty and not nearly as satisfying as the very first one. So it's like how do you keep something fresh and new and different? Um, and if you just have something that's very 
niche focused in the FMB industry. That's not something that's natural, um, which I feel a lot of pop-ups are. Like, for example, uh, the pop-up that um, I'm most well-known for was the Pop Shop, which was a carbonated cocktail soda shop, like 1950s soda shop theme. Um, if that existed full-time, we'd be out of business in three years. I, I guarantee <laughs> because the luster would wear off. I mean, like, you mm-hmm. know, people would have had their fill of it, and there's no way to really innovate further past that concept. Like, that's a concept that's completely and fully realized. Um, I would say uh, food trucks, uh, like Taco Loco, who's been looking for a location and some of these other food trucks, a food truck's kind of an intermediary. It's not really a pop-up. It's really kind of like a brick and mortar on wheels, I guess. I mean, you've got that ability to bring your services to other people, which I think is a huge advantage, and there's a lower cost of operating the business. Um, so I see that transition a little bit better. Uh, I'm also of the opinion, just with F&B, like, if you can be successful and not, like, like put roots down someplace why on earth would you ever invest in a restaurant i mean it's really just like something that is going to break constantly and just like you know just just trash yourself i mean you're right i'm an idiot you can can speak to the amount of money that you have to spend maintaining 12 mile limit yeah no it is a constant we're constantly replacing things that have broken i mean this it's it's a slower process than it was when i bought this building it was it was borderline blight and so we've we've basically replaced all of it piece by piece over the last six years. And we've done a lot of that in a big rush in the last sort of six months as some financing opened up for us. Thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> and um, but yeah, that that but but those so many of those processes, the upgrades that we've wanted to make, we've gone back like, hey, we would like to improve the structure uh, and the underlying physical soundness of our building. May we do that? And then the city would come back. It's like, sure, but only if you add on these $50,000 of extra projects. Yeah. And I know that, yeah. that that is part of the hurdle that, that Hope and her uh, partners partner have found with opening their brick and mortar. So I was curious if you could talk about some of the roadblocks that you've encountered during this year of between sort of moving into the space up till now where sure. it's still not officially fully open. Right. So we got the space, uh, our current space on St. Cloud, which we do fully intend to make our home. We're just trying to do it right, you know, trying to do it properly. Um, the space was zoned commercial or residential. It could be either. Uh, and the first thing we were concerned with was making sure that our type of business was okay there. Um, you know, we just wanted to make sure that there would be no surprises. And so we actually made a presentation at City Hall to talk about our goals and to talk about the fact that we wanted to be a city resource. We wanted to offer this education, this health advice that we didn't only, you know, sell vibrators, you know, we sold many other things, uh, that we were a resource and the city was on board. Uh, everyone we talked to was actually really positive and, you know, wanted to work with us, um, got a sense of what we wanted to do. Um, and so that was great. And so we applied for all of our permits and then come to find out, uh, the location had been residential before we were there. It had been an apartment. And so to become a commercial space, which is what it would be, uh, needed to get up to commercial code. And apparently the standards in New Orleans had changed like two years ago, yeah. <laughs> you know, not very long ago. Um, and so to get up to code now, uh, we need to make the space ADA compliant. Uh, so wheelchair accessibility. Also, uh, the bathroom that's in the space needs to be compliant. And then we have to build uh, firewalls mm-hmm. basically to protect um, the other units in the building, uh, which is all valid. We just did not realize we were going to have to do all of that before we even had a store and money. 
Um, it's got to be one of those weird things. I've dealt with this too with opening some restaurants, and then like the inspector comes through and just like, oh, this isn't wheelchair accessible. This is an ADA compliant, mm-hmm. and like there's a small part of part of you that's kind of like, it's like, damn you for being in a wheelchair. And then you have to <laughs> check yourself and be like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> who's no, the yeah. who's the real bad guy? Not here? cool. <laughs> yeah, I do. I felt that too when I was uh, I, I went back and forth with the city a lot when we were doing our upgrades to the kitchen. One of the things they came back and said is that because if you're going to have a legal kitchen in this space. We are going to have to examine your um, your seating capacity, which is based on square footage. And based on your square footage, we feel that you need at least one extra fixture in the restroom. So, in collectively, we could have we could have added another restroom. We could have. Well, what we wound up doing was adding another toilet into the women's room by expanding. Uh, we just removed an alcove next to the women's room and put the basically made it a slightly larger space. Um, but they said that at, if you're going, like, we are forcing you to make this change, which, but also does not meaningfully increase the capacity of our restroom because it's still basically a single stall. Mm-hmm. It, it's got two toilets in it, but it's more or less a single occupancy space. It, it's a talking point now for everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's, well. it's a conversation starter. It's for good friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little too far away to hold hands, though. I wish we had that, that pals like side by side, like two seater model, just fingertips. You just yeah, fingertips. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, like, okay, we like we need you to make this change, even though it will be largely cosmetic in in actuality. And since you are making a change to your restroom, we are going to need to make you need you to make your restroom wheelchair compliant. And, th- and we were able to successfully go back and argue that that would create a sufficiently undue burden that it would. It would force us to abandon the project completely. So uh, working with the architects that I was working with, I was, I mean, I feel fortunate that they went back and were like, no, because I would have, I might have just said, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just abandon some of the other things that I also want to do with the financing that I've been able to get in order to make this happen. But we would have had to sacrifice a large piece of our back room to add a whole new wheelchair accessible restroom. But the entire time I felt like a terrible person because I was like, oh, how, how dare you try to make me have a space where wheelchair-confined people can pee in my bar? This is my bar. I have got to do what I want, and I say nobody in wheelchairs can pee here. Like, but in, in the end, we actually were able to meet most of the... While it, we, we successfully argued that it would create an undue financial burden to create that kind of access, we wound up doing it anyway. That we yeah, realized I was going to say, I'm pretty sure your bathrooms it is, actually are yeah. accessible. Yeah. Um, that we, 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 why, I, I got some, I got a small consultation done. There's a local nonprofit that just advises on access issues, even That's if awesome. it's not be, a, a mandatory situation. What are they and called? I, I honestly cannot remember, but hey, if you guys are listening, please chime in because I would like to be able to share you as a resource. Um, but that we were able to, like, we, all you need to do is widen the door slightly, make this fixture at a certain height. You got to have the paddle shifters instead of the knobs on the faucet. Mm-hmm. And we need to raise the, uh, uh, you know, we needed to make sure that there was wheelchair access around the area. So it was like, there, that was all stuff that we could do and that we ended up doing that I, I was worried that we wouldn't be able to do and I didn't want to be forced to do. Um, but after we just, after we got the, the leeway to say, oh, we don't, we don't have to do it. But can we? Yeah, sure. cool. And we did. Um, but did you ever? Did you have that option? Were you able to go back and say that this would create an undue burden? I don't think so. Um, if so, we need more lawyers than we have now, which is <laughs> one that's very awesome. But that's not necessarily her wheelhouse. Um, so with us, we it was very important to us, and, and one of the main goals with our shop is that we do want to be as accessible as possible. You know, we do want to be able to have you know, the widest range of clientele and the widest range of people that could work for us too. Um, and so it, it, it always was important to us that we were going to make this building accessible one way or the other. It was just unexpected that we would have to do it to be able to open it all. 
uh, because we've never had debt in the business and, you know, knock wood, we still don't. Um, it's grown very organically with basically like a few hundred dollars from my grandma and then, uh, your grandma's you know, pretty cool. Yeah. My grandma's very cool. She was, <laughs> she was amazing. Gloria Hicks, rest in peace. She was the best. Mm. Um, but, uh, and, and then just growing slowly. You know, we started in 2013. We're only now about to have our, our brick and mortar, but for better or for worse, we're both fairly debt averse. And so we have the money that we have and we're going to do what we're going to do with it. Um, and so we didn't, have the money right away to do these these changes like i said the goal was always going to be to be accessible i didn't know anything about the firewalls that was new to me this has all been a learning experience um it was just it was surprising that we would have to do it to get started Mm -hmm. it's kind of a catch-22 um so what we ended up doing in november of last year like right when i was getting married uh was run an indiegogo campaign because i didn't have enough going on and um (laughs) It actually went really well. So we funded at something like 88%. Uh, we actually got a lot of the money that we needed. Um, people were very generous. Uh, the folks at um, Helbit for Leather uh, donated a lot of prizes for us and mm. perks. Um, we had a lot of really good shout outs from within the community. And so we do have the money to get started with and, and really make a go of it now. The problem with us was that... Um, as soon as we had the money and we had the plans and we took everything to city hall and said, okay, the fire marshal said, yes, and we have this money. Let's do it. Then the gentleman who had our plans at city hall was like, but wait, there's more. Oh. Uh, and essentially, um, the architect that we had hired before, you know, lovely person, but uh, apparently not quite on the ball. Um, uh. and I, I, you know, did the best he could for sure, but at the end of the day, um, was not quite clear on the current commercial codes that were required. So that was a dark time, uh, in December when we were afraid we weren't going to be able to do it at all. Um, but we actually, we hired a new architect, uh, about a month and a half ago and she's been phenomenal and, you know, has just really gone forward. We finally just, you know, like we put her on retainer and we said, please figure this out and see if it's even possible because we can't do anything until we know. Uh, and she's been wonderful. And so she's actually making headway and, and talking to everybody for us. And I, I can only think, you know, because she'll forward me emails every time she's talked to a new person and, and cleared another hurdle. Or just, honestly, some of it was just things that, that weren't clear in the plans that the person, the initial uh, person at City Hall asked for and the architect didn't know to say this is what this is mm-hmm. or just didn't have time he was a busy man yeah. um she's gone through every little detail and i think like my goodness i could not <laughs> spend this much time at city hall this is money well spent <laughs> wow yes well it's uh i'm glad that it's continuing to move forward mm-hmm. you know that tilting at all of the windmills eventually you'll knock one of them over yeah. you know that yeah. that's that's a long strange trip i just made up that phrase there's a a demotivator um poster you know the demotivators yeah yeah yeah. like nihilistic yeah (laughs) inspirational nihilism tell me more (laughs) apparently there's one that i just read about this i I just finished an awesome um sexual health book called come as you are by emily nagoski but she talks about there's a poster on her wall in her office that has a penguin on it and it says something to the effect of um until you spread your wings, you'll never know how far you can walk. <laughs> it's just, in some ways, very depressing, but also like, we're going to get this done. Like, we'll figure it out. 
Yeah. Even if we have to walk the whole way, we're going to mm-hmm. make this happen. You'll, yeah. you'll drag each other's mm-hmm. exhausted bodies over the finish line, come hell or high water. Mm-hmm. I believe nothing less. <laughs> uh, so one thing I'd like to look at uh, to consider a little bit. So the first time I, I got to meet you, open, it was very much in passing. I came in for the late shift on a Thursday, awesome. and I believe you were here for the adult sex ed that yeah. happens here at 12 Mile Limit. Uh, Cole, would you like to speak about what that programming is, is here at 12 Mile? I remember the first time I met Hope, she actually came in, I believe, I don't know if you were with Nikki or not, but you came in, you were sitting at the end of the bar, I was bartending, or was just happened to be behind the bar that night, and I overheard that you were talking about opening the space that is now Dynamo, or that you had just opened the space that is now Dynamo, and uh, my wife, Lelia, is has been a sex educator in a lot of different venues. She's done sex education for uh, teenagers who are in juvenile detention. She's done sex education for adults, uh, cr- pr- prisoners uh, re-entering society. She's done sex education in more traditional just schools. She's done it with, on, on uh, like a, in uh, college campuses. So she, and now she has done it with you guys because I, I I was like, oh, you should you should talk to my wife. She has talked about having. Uh, a, a sex positive sex toy store as not as something that she actively wanted to do, but it's just one of those things that she always thought about doing. And it, it just seemed like a, that, that was a connection that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh, you should talk to my wife. So I don't remember if anything came of that specific conversation, but that is the first time I remember meeting yeah. you and hearing about this yeah. project. And I was like, Oh, and if you ever want to do a pop up here, if you want to do programming like that here, I very much want this to be a space that is, is known for like safe, responsible sexuality. That bars are, this is very much still a hookup bar, but I don't want it to be a predatory <laughs> environment. I want it to be a place where people feel safe and comfortable to hook up with each other. Sure. And that, that's the kind of programming that I wanted. So hearing, it was like, oh, we want to do, you want to sell some stuff here. You want to do an event here. We, we would happily facilitate. So then you eventually did get in touch with Lelia mm-hmm. and have developed a, a recurring program. It's probably, it used to be monthly. And now it, it seems to be we're doing it more or less seasonally. Mm-hmm. But do you want to talk about sort of how that's evolved, what the format is currently, and how I guess how that came to be? Because this is where I check out, except for being like, sure, that date works. <laughs> sure. Uh, so I ended up uh, meeting with Lilia not too long after we after we met. Um, we had some coffee dates, you know, and, and just chatted about our own experiences in sex education, um, some of the goals that we both had in terms of making more resources available to New Orleans. And I honestly... Like, I also don't exactly remember how it came up, but we all collectively decided, me, Lilia, and Nico, that we wanted to do some kind of event together, uh, and that 12 Mile Limit was an awesome and, you know, welcoming venue. Uh, and so it did start as a monthly series, uh, and essentially, so it involved, um, I guess the, the focus of it was anonymous Q&A. Um, I was raised in... Some people don't call it the South. It's the cultural South. I was raised in Kentucky. Uh, Definitely and, the South. Yeah. Uh, anybody who says it's not. It's people just, like silly. to be like, oh, that's the Midwest. I'm like, it's the South. Um, but, uh, and so, you know, while, like, like, I had, I had a fantastic childhood. I am not knocking that, but sex education was very limited. I think I had maybe one day of sex ed and like, life skills class and it was essentially just a series of slides of the most extreme examples of sexually transmitted infections that they could find like nothing about pleasure of course um nothing about even how to you know use a condom uh, was very basic uh and so i think it's really important for folks who come from any kind of background whether they got great sex ed or no sex ed 
to have a place where they can ask questions and, you know, an environment with other, with other adults, you know, that's comfortable, that's anonymous if they want it to be, um, that's fun or funny and, and just get some of this stuff out. Uh, and so that's what adult sex ed was meant to be. Um, so the focus of it is we take anonymous questions from the audience. Um, we have the panel of three, myself, Lilia, and Nico, um, all answering questions from our perspectives. And some of us have specialties in one thing or another thing. But we also try to make it fun. So we always have a coloring contest. <laughs> um, and we have, like, various, like, sexier, kinky prizes from, you know, toys to feminist porn to, you know, like, whatever we want to give away. Um, and then... Occasionally, we've also done like games or, or trivia. And then we've also had um, sex positive comedians that have come through because uh, I know 12 Mile uh, tends to do a fair bit with the comedy scenes. We've also had folks come in and do, you know, some sexy comedy that is, uh, you know, punching up and <laughs> <laughs> and funny and, you know, positive and, and gets you in a good mood or at least mad about the right things. So, <laughs> yeah, it was um, interesting. So I've only been to one of these while I was working and uh, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I thought it was going to be more like kind of a comedy night. I thought it was going to be sure. a little more funny than anything else or that people be trying to crack as many jokes as possible. Uh, you're a pretty funny person. <laughs> okay, just making sure. But I, I, I kind of thought that with the Q&A, everybody was going to ask just funny questions. Yeah. Like, what, what can I, well, who's the most clever person in the room? Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised that a lot of people, I mean, under their cover of being an anonymous, um, asked very, uh, you know, uh, very vulnerable questions. Sure. Things that, like, you know, it, it kind of, like, was that whole uh, things you want to ask about sex and sexuality, but were too afraid to ask. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised how comfortable a room it was and how people didn't laugh at these questions. There might have been, no. like, a, oh, ha, ha, ha. But then serious answers for the questions, and then people were engaged to, like, you know, respect other people's, like, you know, inquiries as well. Absolutely. Which was really amazing. Um, I can completely reflect... Uh, same thing growing up in North Carolina, which is the real South. Well, <laughs> North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina, the model for Southern oppression in the United States at the moment. Congratulations, North Carolina. Um, <laughs> I remember our sex ed was probably just one day. They split the girls from the boys. It's like, this is a penis. This is a vagina. Yep. If you have sex, you'll probably go to hell. Well, not hell because we can't talk about religion, but sure. you know what we mean. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was just abstinence was like the, the complete thing. It was just basically condoms and abstinence are, are it. Like, and, and like they were very much like you know remiss to mention that that any type of like birth control or safe sure. sex was a, was any any possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel? Um, and I feel, and this is one of the things that I'd love to explore further on this podcast about education in New Orleans. Sure. Um, I feel that like you know there there's you know uh, a an HIV issue here in the city, mm-hmm. uh, clearly, um, and then a teen pregnancy issue in the city as well. Uh, what what is sex education like in the in the city of New Orleans? Are you are you connected with that at all? Not as much as I would like to be. Um, most of what we do, by nature of us being like a sex shop or a you know sexual health resource, is that we're adults only. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, and, and we ID even just to be on the safe side. You know, you have to be eighteen to come into Dynamo. Um, so I am not quite as familiar. Probably Lelia would be the one that would know more about what's available in the city of New Orleans. And I'm sure it depends on the school. I'm not sure about the current state statutes in Louisiana about, you know, is it an abstinence-only state or mm-hmm. can you teach pleasure? It also probably depends on private versus public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really, you know, just depends. But almost in every case in general, um, you don't see anything but the bare minimum being taught if you get more than abstinence it's it's often a a a scare you know presentation yeah you know this is you could get pregnant you could get an sti um 
pleasure is usually not touched on unless you have an educator who is, you know, knowledgeable and knows that that's important and is also being allowed to teach those things. Yeah. Um, I know when I was growing up, I didn't even know that, like, it was super common and valid for women to masturbate till mm-hmm. I was, like, in college. Right. I was like, I'm in trouble. But... Um, <laughs> It just wasn't talked about, you know, right. so. I can speak to some of that landscape just by, by virtue of being married to Lelia. I hear, I hear about some of it. And I know that there was recently shot down at the statewide level uh, legislation that would have created a, the, the framework for comprehensive sex education in New Orleans as a test market. That we wanted to, they wanted to say like, Hey, we know that this is a non-starter statewide, but we think there's value in it. We think that we can do some real good by, by by teaching people about human sexuality in an age appropriate way, but Mm -hmm. in a much more comprehensive way than is currently allowed by the state in any public school. If you have a private school, uh, specifically a a non-specifically religious private school, you can teach the kids whatever you deem to be appropriate. So Lily actually going to, uh, Metairie Park Country Day School which is non-religious but private, she got a very good sex education at school. I also, I grew up in D.C., which has the distinct advantage of not, like New Orleans is a blue dot in a red sea, right? So we're, we can't make those decisions for ourselves entirely. We're at the whims of what the state wants. D.C. is the only city in the country that doesn't have a state attached to it to make those decisions on its behalf. So we had, I didn't even realize how rare it was at the time, of course, but from like fifth grade and then again in seventh grade, we had very comprehensive, matter of fact, but talking about birth control methods, talking about anatomy in a very detailed way, talking about, to a certain extent, pleasure. Um, and and it be, it was a, it was very real. It didn't feel judgmental. Uh, and it was taught by, by the science teacher, you know, that, yeah. well, actually the one in seventh grade was taught by the, uh, by the coach. <laughs> by the gym teacher, so which, is off, which is yeah. often the case. But to be fair, there's usually people who have a degree in like kinesiology yeah, or at least yeah. some sort of education degree. There's, you know, just you joke about, oh, coach teaches history, coach teaches sex ed. It's like, that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world if, if the curriculum is solid. Have you been to North Carolina? <laughs> I, I, I recall our government econ class in high school was literally just watching the West Wing <laughs> and plan the prom. It was, uh, I did not learn much. And Politics today, anyway. Then organization. That, that's probably going a long way with all your pop-ups, right? Yeah, no, yeah. There See, there we go. Now it's coming back around. <laughs> um, but yeah, so no, there is still not in public schools in New Orleans or anywhere in the state comprehensive sex education, which I think most of our listeners probably agree would be of great value to a great number of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully uh, with the generation, like the, the, the demographic of the room that came to this adult sex ed uh, class, it either was... Young adults, uh, there were a lot of couples who were here as well. Didn't look like a lot of parents or at least new parents as mm-hmm. well. So that's great. I mean, like really like looking at people who are approaching sexual sex education um, in this manner, like maybe finally that burden can get shifted a little more towards the parents. I mean, sure. that's that's a big cop out, isn't it? Just like like. You know, sometimes parents don't want to talk about this. You so don't ever want to be like, able to be prepared exactly. to some extent. I guess, right. I, yeah, I should say my mom was a pediatrician and in an inner city. So she was she was damn sure her kids would know how babies were made. Sure. So I got the birds and the bees, like the very nuts and bolts talk when I was probably four or five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as I, and I, I, you know, I had I remember that conversation. You know, this guy's things are seared into your mind. Yeah. But it, it was before I knew that that people were awkward about these kinds of things. It was before I knew that was inappropriate. And I remember a few years later, I was in third grade summer camp. So between third and fourth grade. And 
I used the word sex with in it with some of my fellow campers to describe physical you know the gender you know the biological sex not sure. uh, uh, distinct from gender I didn't realize that at the time but it's a different conversation um but I used the word sex in a, in this biological context and I got it was they, they, they were snickers you know the people laughed mm-hmm. and I was like you guys are so immature. It's like, aren't we in third grade? Shouldn't we be able to have these conversations like mature people that we are? It's like, I remember talking <laughs> about like ketchup and mustard and I said condiment and my friend was like, ooh, condom. You know, it was like, <laughs> it's not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's good that, and honestly, I do like that people do come as adults that recognize that there are things that they don't know. Cause that's one of the things that's really hard, especially in, in sexuality. There's a point and, and in anything else that, that, it, uh, there's nothing more dangerous than a little bit of knowledge. Yeah. So that people recognize at a certain point the gaps in their own knowledge and seek out opportunities like the ones that you provide here and elsewhere to to fill in those gaps. Sure. And I think that that has a lot of value. And I, I'm really grateful that at, at least we live in a city, but we live in a in a time where people are at least, some people are becoming sufficiently self aware to recognize that they want this information that their partners want them to have this information that there is value in in admitting what you don't know sure absolutely about sex or anything really yeah wonderful um and i I know you've touched on it a little bit and this is a hell of a transition i'd imagine too but um i'd really like to learn a little more about while we still have some time left uh just a little bit about the the biases that are um within your within your industry as well Mm -hmm. um you were talking about i believe the tool shed up uh, Mm -hmm. in uh, milwaukee Milwaukee. wisconsin Mm -hmm. Uh aha look at that i'm learning Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) um you were talking about how they are one of the premier shops for trans men Mm -hmm. um i'd imagine that most traditional stores or most novelty stores as they are, are are more skewed particularly towards just heterosexual sure. uh, relations. So is that an uphill battle for you? Do you guys face any type of challenges with that? Um, I think for the most part, people tend to be really receptive um, to what we do carry. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that occasionally there's confusion. You know, we carry, um, you know, different transgender supplies or even kink supplies, things that people don't normally see. And sometimes people will pick things up and, you know, swing them around and kind of joke with friends. This is more at when we are at like bars, when we pop up at bars <laughs> than any of the times that we've been in a, a dedicated, more private pop-up shop. But generally, if you tell people, you know, that's what this is, this is how it's used, they're like, oh my goodness. And they, they usually become respectful or at least embarrassed uh, <laughs> and then they want to know more you yeah. know and, and we try to make it make everything a learning experience you know mm-hmm. because being uh unaware of a fact does not make you a bad person it's what you do when you're um faced with the answer or with the actuality of a situation that that really makes that call if that makes sense you know no, if, if you don't know something not a bad person. It's like, are you willing to learn something? Right. So it's the difference between somebody who's just ignorant and then somebody who's holding up a sign saying that you're going to hell yeah. because of what you're doing. Yeah. I can, uh, this is sort of related to that in terms of the way that people react to you. But we've talked a lot about on this podcast, we talked a lot about uh, minority representation, mm-hmm. specifically in the bar industry, that there isn't a lot of female ownership of bars and restaurants. Mm-hmm or even really high-level management, that there aren't a lot of people of color represented. Um, both you and Nico are, are, are white women, but you're women. So uh, then and in an industry that I imagine, I, I'm not 100% positive, but uh, that I imagine is still dominated probably by men as, sure. as a much 
business ownership and across different spectrums is. Can you talk about what it means to people, to your, to you, and also to your clientele to be women in this industry? I mean, I, I don't want to say that, oh, because we are women, we are the ben- be all end all and we're going to be able to answer every question or know everything. Uh, but I think it does provide at least a choice in terms of people that you could talk to or people that you could go to uh, for this information and for these kinds of products. I will say we're not the only women-owned sex shop in town. Um, there's one in Metairie, uh, Suzette's, that's that's owned by a woman, obviously. Um, Hot Chocolate's owned by a woman. Um, and some of the others may be too. Um, gosh, there's one that's at least run by a woman, um, Le Sex Shop. Plugging all of my competition. It's really fun. <laughs> Le Sex um, Shop? Le Sex Shop. Um, it's on Canal. Um it's beautiful. It's uh, French for the sex shop. It is. Um, <laughs> but no, no. And, it, and those are all totally valid. Like, I will never, like, slam people. That's not who we are. And honestly, you know, the more resources, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Right. You know, I want other people... Or, or I, I want people to have options. Right. You know, for a monopoly... I'm sure we'll get lazy. I don't want that to happen. I love um, the idea that in like yeah. new small town Main Street America, it's like, there's my friendly neighborhood sex shop. That's what we want to be. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're not we're not in the quarter. And I, I feel like the quarter is its own animal in terms of um, who your customers are. Right. So I, I've never felt like pressured by the shops in the quarter. Like I said, the one on Canal's very far from us. Um but so there are other female owned shops for sure. But as far as I know, and I don't know everything, um, nobody is doing the same thing that we are and nobody is offering the same programming, um, educational resources, uh, events and, and supplies that we offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we always want to be ahead of the curve on that. We always want to be the place where you can get the best information, um, the most reliable and safe supplies. Uh, and if we don't have it or we're doing something wrong, I want to know. I want to learn. I want to change and, and be a better resource. And, you know, like Cole said, we are both women, but we're both, um, cisgender white women you know so we both still have a lot of privilege and i definitely want to bring more people in as we go we, we really can't afford employees right now but eventually i'd like to have employees that can offer other perspectives you know um people of color and and trans folks and and people from all different backgrounds so that we can have that um input you know mm-hmm. we want to be able to speak to a wide variety of people and give them help all right. Uh, I think we're getting up towards the upper end of our usual episode length, but we like to leave things with parting thoughts. If you have any uh, anything else you would like to add, that'd be great. If not, if you would just like to uh, once again say who you are, the uh, list your organization, and maybe say a couple of upcoming events that you're you're working on or places that we might be able to find you guys in the sure. in the not too distant future so again my name is hope codman von starnes and i am uh co-owner of dynamo which is a sexual wealth and wellness shop here in new orleans did i say sexual wealth and wellness yes you did Metal we should all Satan. Be sexy. <laughs> no, sorry i'm gonna get in trouble for saying satan on this podcast um <laughs> no, you will not. for our christian listeners <laughs> i mean i don't know um no so uh sexual wealth I did it again. Hold on. You're going to have to edit this. It's a spoonerism. Um, sexual health and wellness shop. I'm going to add that if we ever do like a heavy metal event or like something in October, something, some, some, we're going to flip it. Rich, sexy metal kids. Yeah. Sexual wealth and health. We're so many studs. Um, no, sexual <laughs> We're not cutting any of this. No. This is Please gold. Please don't. I sounded so much more hardcore than I've ever been in my life. I 
yeah, I'm born to be mild. In any case, um, no, so we are, uh, we are a sexual health resource here in downtown New Orleans. Um, right now we're still in pop-up mode, so you, you kind of have to follow up with us, uh, to find out where we're going to be. And fingers crossed in the next couple of weeks, we're going to finally get that approval to start construction, which is going to be, it's going to take a couple months. Uh, and so we, We'll have to, you'll really only be able to find us out and about in the world uh, in the intervening time. We hope to pop up at other shows. Um, there's a show called, um, Esot Erotica that happens at the Always Lounge, um, every couple of weeks. And it's a local erotic writers group. Uh, and some of the, the poems and stories that they tell are like super sexy, like, erotica. Sometimes they're just very meaningful and, and really just stir your soul. Um, we pop up with them a fair bit, uh, other events in town. We'll probably do another adult sex ed, uh, but really just need to watch our website, dynamotoys.com. Uh, and then on the internet, uh, if you want to follow us on social media, um, at dynamonola, both on Instagram and on Twitter. Instagram's probably your best bet. Nico runs the Instagram. She does an amazing job. Uh, and that gets updated pretty frequently. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. Hope and all of our, our listeners out there in podcast land. Once again, my name is T. Cole Newton. This is Stevie Mata. And this has been Around with Stephen Cole. Catch you next time, y'all.